0: At Humanizing Work, we work with clients who are solving complex, meaningful problems in the world. A high degree of complexity means, of course, a high degree of uncertainty. So they frequently find themselves in a situation where the people around them want more certainty about the future than they're able to provide. And neither avoiding any concrete statement about the future, nor bluffing and sharing too much certainty feels right. Whether it's a leader communicating about the future of a company, or a product team creating a roadmap for their work, this problem of communicating about uncertainty is a common one. People want stability and certainty, but they also want positive change. Unfortunately, change brings uncertainty. As a leader, you have to navigate that tension. In this episode, Peter shares a story about a leader wrestling with one of these situations, and he draws out some larger principles and advice for communicating about uncertainty than the people around you want certainty.
1: Yeah, Richard, that story I was thinking about comes from my time at Adobe, and I kind of give the subtitle to this story. Nobody really knows what they're doing. So when I started at Adobe, we did major product releases every couple of years. Now, this approach had two big issues with it. One that was mostly financial and one that was about responsiveness. On the financial side, these pretty expensive, infrequent releases caused a business issue that we referred to internally as version skipping. People would buy, say, version 3 of a product, and then we'd release version 4, and some significant portion of customers would say, eh, that's cool and all, but I can't afford several hundred dollars to get those new features. I'll skip this version, I'll stay on version 3 for now. And then version 5 would come out, and then they'd finally buy the new one. And it seemed like no matter what features we released, no matter how cool the new thing was, we'd always have people that just weren't willing to pay those very large upgrade prices. Now, the other part, the responsiveness problem, was that if you're only releasing every couple of years, your ability to innovate is super low. Let's say someone comes up for this mind-blowing idea for this killer feature in Photoshop. Now, let's say we've already planned out the next version, the best case is we figure out how to squeeze this great new idea in and customers will see it in maybe a year or two. But worst case, the current feature set is locked in and we've got to wait for the planning cycle on the next one to start and then the couple years to actually build and release that thing. So it's going to take a long time from idea to customers being able to use it. Now, Adobe execs recognized that we needed to release much more frequently and figure out how to reduce the sticker shock of those big new releases. So they started considering this huge business model change from perpetual licensed products released every couple of years to a monthly subscription model where we could release any feature as soon as it was ready. Now, imagine for a minute that you're the CEO of a Fortune 500 company and you think this is the right thing to do. It's going to be good for customers. It's going to be good for the bottom line. It's going to be good for employee engagement since we'll see features going out faster and having impact sooner. How do you communicate about this shift? It's massive. Really everything about how the business run will need to change from accounting to product management to marketing, of course, product development and even things like legal reviews. Now, New, Adobe CEO, didn't just dive right in the company actually tested subscriptions for a year in a pilot program in Australia just to see how customers responded and how we might be able to figure out all of those logistical business things to make it work. And at the end of that one-year pilot, the experiment supported the hypothesis that this would be a positive move for customers and for the business. And then kind of off we went. And I remember very clearly the all-hands meeting right after we'd announced the switch to subscriptions. And Mark Garrett, who was the CFO at the time, was talking about how he was going to communicate this shift to Wall Street. And he did what looked to me like this Jedi move, where he told investors what the plan was, and then explained how profit is going to drop over multiple quarters. And then he shared this hypothesis he had for how annual recurring revenue, which you'll often see abbreviated ARR, would increase based on the experience with that Australia pilot program and then looking at other subscription growth projections. And then he said, for the next year or two, pay no attention to our bottom line. We're investing in this major shift, and the way you'll know we're succeeding is if our annual recurring revenue, our ARR, increases by such and such amount every quarter. And investors did that. Adobe stock didn't tank when our profit kind of did. And that bought the company enough time to get through that huge transition. And now the company's never been stronger. At the time, I assumed that Mark Garrett just knew it all would work. And then interviews and now having worked with dozens of C-level executives, I've kind of had this pretty big change in how I think about that. Mark and Chanteneau hoped it would work. They had done some early testing on that idea, and they were willing to bet their careers on it. But they didn't know for sure. What I've realized since then is that everyone we think of as a confident, inspiring leader, if you could scan their inner dialogue, probably feels like they're making it up. What makes them an inspiring leader is the courage to make an assertion about a desired future state. Now, anyone can do that and just kind of blow smoke. Think about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos. That's not what we're talking about here. What makes an inspiring leader An effective one is the willingness to accept the consequences of that assertion about the future. That's leadership with integrity. Now, we all have two conflicting needs as humans. First, this need for stability, for safety, for certainty. And second, the need for things to get better, which involves change, hopefully for the positive. And no change comes without uncertainty. We can't predict the future. So whether you're an entrepreneur trying to lead the charge with a new, untested, or maybe even lightly tested business idea, a CEO like Chanteneau was trying to launch a big strategic change, or you're on a team that's just trying to map out your next quarter's OKRs, you're being asked to make an assertion about the future that is by its nature uncertain. And if you want to be effective to lead with integrity, you need to be willing to accept the consequences of whatever it is you assert. Given that tension, the people you're talking to need two things as you communicate about that uncertain future. Number one, they need to be excited about it. Whatever it is you're pointing to, whatever you're asserting, that needs to be seen as positive for them. And number two, they need to know what will happen if we encounter downsides as we work towards that change. In other words, what are the consequences of your assertion? Now, the inspiring part is pretty straightforward. It involves basic storytelling. The best assertions about the futures, the most the inspiring ones, describe a future vision in concrete terms that will resonate with whoever your audience is in that communication. Like, what will customers be doing differently if your product or business is successful? And why is that better for those customers? How will coworkers' lives be different in the future? And how is that better? Paint that vivid vision of those things that's both aspirational and that you still feel confident is possible that you can make that assertion with some integrity. And then on owning the consequences of your assertion, particularly the potential downsides, a few things to keep in mind. First, be clear about what you know, but be even clearer about what you don't. Maybe you know that the customer has this problem, but you don't know exactly how to solve it. Or you know that this technology works to do a cool thing, But not exactly how you'll market that yet. Uh, Maybe we know our team typically delivers at this rate, but we don't know what changes we'll need to make in the plan as we discover the right thing to build. Second, use probabilistic language for anything quantitative. For example, I remember Mark Garrett describing a range within annual recurring revenue would grow, uh, rather than a specific number. I also love seeing teams forecast over their backlog using a range. For example, given a desired release date and assuming our current plans don't change, we'll likely get all of these, some of these, and none of those. Next, highlight the assumptions you've made that have boosted your own confidence about your assertion, and then welcome feedback and questions about those assumptions. I remember this discussion that Chanteneau held about those results from the Australia pilot and how he was confident because of that. But then, welcoming feedback about how and why that initial feedback might not be representative of the worldwide market. And then he described the research and, and testing that the company would do to increase their confidence going forward on making that big bet. Next up, describe the concrete steps you'll use to test your hypothesis, to get feedback, and then potentially to pivot as you go. It's one of the core things that scrum teams can do at every sprint review. Uh, Also, ORKRs, as an example, should give you at least quarterly opportunities to test hypotheses and share learning and pivots. Then describe how you envision others participating in that process and how you'll seek feedback. You can check out our episode on getting feedback on a work in progress for a great kind of six-step agenda for how to get feedback on a work in progress that really works well. We'll drop a link to that in the show notes. Finally. Talk openly about the constraints you're working in and welcome ideas about how to move towards your vision within those constraints. These are all true for a leader diving into a lofty organizational change, an entrepreneur launching a new business, or a team describing their OKRs to other stakeholders. The key thing to remember is make an assertion about the future that you're fired up about, but then have the integrity to own the consequences of whatever assertion you make.
0: Thanks for tuning in. If you found this useful, please share this episode with someone else who would benefit from it. And be sure to subscribe to The Humanizing Work Show on YouTube or on your favorite podcast platform so you get all of our episodes as they come out. See you next time.